Wow, I'm waiting for one more song. I just want to keep right on worshiping. I'm ready to keep going. It's like, let's do another song. Let's, let's sing some more. It's Christmas, and we're glad that we're here. Um, I never saw that coming. That's actually the name of the sermon, and I just didn't see that thing ending right there when it was supposed to be ending. Hi, I'm Joe, and it is good to have you here with us today as we launch into um, our Christmas series. And this isn't going to be a series that's not a series. This is a series that's actually a series, and it's going to be a, a miracle at my house. House. And I want to encourage you this year to be, honestly, there's a place for us to keep, like, like I said when we were talking about prayer, keep pounding on the door of heaven and kept pounding on the door of heaven and saying, Lord, I want you to answer this prayer. That's what Jesus told us to do about prayer. Then there is a place for us to stop and say, I want to pound on the door of heaven and I want to say, Lord, why not do the miracles you did before in our lives and in our home? That's what we want to see. We want to see the healing. We want to see the word of knowledge. We want to see the power of God quickening our hearts and changing us. And I want to encourage you that the fact of the matter is that in, um, um, being in the presence of God and being um, uh, saved by God, being uh, used by God, it's going to be about change in your life. It's going to be about God changing you. And it's, it's not really appropriate for us as Christian people to come and say, Lord, uh, you know, I want you to do something big in my life, but don't change me. We should be constantly saying, Lord, help me to grow from glory to glory, from glory to glory. All of us, as we come in here, say, come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come into the presence of God just as you are. He sees it all. Just come into the presence of God. And allow him to do what he's going to do. So we're going to be looking at miracles this month and what that means for you and I, especially in the uh, Christmas story. And I just wanted you to know, didn't know if you were aware of this, but there are 37 specific miraculous events that Jesus perpetrated that are recorded in the four Gospels. So Jesus performed specifically, the, I mean, more than this, John would say, what he did was so much more, there's not even enough paper. If the sky itself were paper, we couldn't write it all down. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus did so many more. But there are specifically 37 miracles that he accomplished um, that are absolutely amazing. Um, the very first was he turned water into wine, and then he healed an official son. He drives out an evil spirit. He heals Peter, Peter's mother-in-law. He heals many sick and oppressed at one particular evening. The miraculous catch of bread. And, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. All of the different things he did in, in this particular site had all the citations for the Scripture, you know, right up to where he puts Malchus's ear back on his head because um, Simon cuts it off, you know, when he's getting arrested. And it's just like, wow. And then, you know, the whole summation for Christian people, believe it or not, the cornerstone of Christianity is not like we're Christians, we go to church. It's we're Christians, we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, that when he was crucified for our sins, that the power of God raised him from the dead. And that's never happened before. Up to that point, it's like these kind of things don't happen. And so people saw him walking the earth, and that's where they were. And so that's what we're talking about. This is the gospel account of miracles. It's not legend. It's not hearsay. It's not, hey, somebody had an idea, and so they wrote this story about Jesus. It's not that. You know, when Matthew writes down what Jesus did, he's saying, look, I was there. When John writes down and he says, listen, he healed this guy. John was right there. I was reminded a couple of days ago um, during the Thanksgiving um, festivities at our house, we had a family on and we were uh, over and we were talking about uh, being at uh, um, Zimbabwe a couple of years ago. We were there and that we had walked into this clinic 
And that there was an older gentleman in there that was just suffering horribly um, in, in his arm. Um, he needed, he, I mean, he needed healing, desperately needed healing. And uh, some of our team went over there and started praying for him. And uh, as he was praying for him, this, this, I mean, he was like 80 years old. And, and this, this guy starts yelling and screaming and yelling and screaming. Now, when I say clinic, imagine um, cement block locker rooms at the high school. And, and when I say clinic, if you're going to get a, a, a Tylenol, you have to bring it with you. If you're going to get bandages for your knees, um, where one of the guys had been kneeling in water when he touched 480 and it blew his knees out, you have to bring the bandages with you or you send your family. If you need ointment, they, there was just um, uh, medical professionals there. That was it. They had no sutures. They had no needles. They had no medicine. It was poor. And this man was sitting there, and he was struggling with, with his knees. And um, people were praying for him, and, and Lane and I had the opportunity to go over there and pray with him as well. And, and he started yelling, and then the nurse came over. And uh, we said, well, you know, well, what's he saying? And he said, well, this man's saying that he can see. And I, I assure you, we were not pl- praying that he could see. We were praying for his legs. And, and we said, what do you mean? She said, this man's blind, but he says that he can see you. And so I said, how many fingers am I holding up? And he said, three. And then somebody else said, what color is he? And the man said, white. And we looked at the nurse and said, hey, come on, is this legit? And she said, this man's been coming in here for, because he lives in the area, um, for medical treatment. Um, she said, he's blind as a bat. That's why the cane has a tip on it. And, and he came in with the cane. He's blind. But apparently he's not blind. It's a miracle. You can't, you can't define it. You can't say how it happened. You can't say what it was. And here's the tough part. I can't say why God doesn't do it every time. I can't. I can tell you this. Jesus went places where he did miracles, and Jesus went places where he could not do miracles, and Jesus went places where he didn't do miracles. Jesus went to his hometown, and, 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 uh, and he said, you guys are going to tell me, physician, heal yourself? He said, and I'm telling you right now, you know, that it's true that you know, a prophet is without honor in his own home. And he couldn't do um, very many uh, miracles there because of their unbelief, the scripture will say. And then there was time when he went and healed the, the man that was at the pool, and, and, and he went there, and a great many people used to lie there. They were laying around the pool, and we know that he was not just the only person there because Jesus came up and said, hey, don't you want to get well? Don't, don't you want to be healed? And he said, look, when the water's tr- um, troubled, there's nobody to put me in the water. So we know that that meant there were a lot of people there. He said, because people get into the water before I do. It was a, a legend and a tradition. Okay, so we know, but the only person recorded that Jesus healed in that particular situation was that man. And and here, I'm I'm here to tell you this, I don't know why. I can tell you this, the Lord made a point of saying, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. And so for me, coming into 2022, I'm beginning to ask myself, what does it mean to be able to see God working somewhere and go be a part of that? We generally say that in relationship to our outreaches, but I'm talking about when you get up and you go into the coffee shop and, and you say, Lord, what are you doing in this coffee shop? And the Lord says, this is what I'm doing. You want to come be a part of it? And most of the time, we probably would say, yeah, no. Yeah, that would be a no, Lord. These people don't know me. They're going to think I'm weird. Um, they're going to wish they had never come into the coffee shop again. You know? But there's a place there where we begin to say, hey, what does that mean? And so we want to stop and we want to say, you know what? These are people that were there for the firsthand account. 
I was there in Zimbabwe and I saw that happen and you can't explain it and I can't explain it and I can't tell you why, but God did it and that nurse affirmed it. And then all the medical staff kept saying, what color is he? How many people are standing here? How many fingers are they holding up? And they just kept going through it just in case he was lying. And they're like, we can't tell you what happened, but this man can see and he can't see. And that's Matthew, that's Mark. And Luke, even though we know Luke wasn't one of his disciples, we know that Luke had the opportunity to talk to Mary. Luke had the opportunity to talk to Peter. Luke certainly had the opportunity to talk to Paul and run with some of those guys. He would have been uh, uh, privy to the council in uh, um, Jerusalem if he wanted to be there. And so he would have had some firsthand knowledge, but he found firsthand information as he was doing his research. Welcome to the Christmas season. Welcome to a miracle at my house. When you think of words associated with Christmas, what do you think? What pops into your head? It's Christmas. Well, I just was writing some down just for fun, and I think, well, holy, shepherds, wise men, star, magi, light, advent, angels, baby, manger, sheep, pregnant, in, no room, candle, choirs, programs. As a matter of fact, what was going through my head was every Christmas program I'd ever been a part of in a traditional church where little children came out on the stage on Christmas morning, or, or Christmas Sunday, we would always call it, and they did the Christmas program, and, and so that was already there. And so we think about that, but what about miracle? Do we associate the word miracle with Christmas? Can we do that? Can we stop and say, hey, we want to associate? Because I promise you, Jesus didn't associate um, all of this with Christmas. He didn't, he didn't do that, and, and, and that's okay. I love it to look traditional, and, and whoever was on this team that did this, thank you. I, I love walking into this church um, the other day, and I got to see it all, and then MJ came and said, come look at the stage, and it's like, it's just beautiful. I, it just feels Christmassy to me. But that wasn't Christmas 2,000 years ago. And miracle was a word that was used. Often when people use the word miracle, what do you think of? You think of, well, I met somebody. It's a miracle. They're a miracle. Um, I found the credit card or the keys that I lost. It's a miracle. I prayed to God and I found them. Listen, sooner or later you were going to find these, even if it was when you moved. Okay, you'll take all the cushions off the couch and you'll flip it over and they'll fall out and there they are. Okay, you know, it's like the parable Jesus said. You know, the woman lost her coins, but she put her house back in order. And the only thing out of order... <coughs> Her coins, see, that's how you do it. Not a man. A man tears the house completely apart, and the only thing that remains where it was is the coins, see? And a woman will do it the other way. She'll put everything where it belongs, and then the thing that's not in its right place is the coins. And then the scripture will say that she celebrates. But, you know, you met somebody, you found credit cards, you found the car keys, you got the job. What a miracle. I got a job or I got the job I wanted. They finished their education and your parents are saying, it's a miracle. We can stop paying these bills now. Okay. Um, or you had a baby and you say, oh, isn't that a miracle? And so we look at the baby and we see it as a miracle. But is it really a miracle? Because in the scripture, when we talk about a miracle, what we're talking about is something that was supernatural. Well, look at this definition. Um, it just says, a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and therefore is considered to be the work of a, a divine agency. They can't say God because it's a pagan or a, a, a heathen you know, book that I got this from, Webster's or something like that. So we can't say God. We have to say divine uh, and do it that way. But God, it has to be the work of God. That's what it is. And sometimes when we look at those parameters and we say, oh, it's, it's a miracle, I found my keys, and it's like, but it doesn't fit in that parameter, what happens is we begin to cheapen the understanding of the word miracle. Because we want to have a miracle, and we don't know why miracles don't happen to us, so we begin to ascribe the word miracle to things that, well, they're special. They, they are special, and they're wonderful, 
but they're not supernatural. They're, they're things that happen, and so we look at that, and, and so we say, hey, what about miracles? Well, I want to take you to Luke chapter 2. It's taking me that long to get here, but I want to take you to Luke chapter, excuse me, chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. 22 starts over here. But I want to just read this, this story, um, and it's the story of Mary, and um, she's going to go, um, well, it's, it's Gabriel shows up, and we know that for a fact. And this angel's name is Gabriel. But, but maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe you saw the peanuts do this so many times in your youth that you know, you know, you, you're familiar with this. So here it is. In the sixth month, huh, in the sixth month of what? In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly, greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with a child and you're to give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary says, well, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, and he said, she said, since I'm a virgin, the angel uh, answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the, Holy, uh, the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she is, who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. There's the sixth month from the beginning of the passage that I started with. In the sixth month, in the sixth month of what? And even your relative is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And I love how Mary answered. She said, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. And so this is the story. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the pronouncement of the coming of the Lord. It's the beginning of the, of the Christmas story. And, and uh, Mary is there, and she's pledged to be married. And the whole um, betrothal or engagement period, if you will, is a lot more serious um, back then than it is now. It's considered already um, the covenant or the contract is a done deal. The dads have gotten together, they've signed the paperwork, whatever it is they had to do, and this woman's going to go home with this man, and this marriage is going to take place, and as a result of that, um, they're going to you know, go on with life, and that's how it is. So even though they're not married, they're considered uh, pledged to be married, so it takes a divorce to undo it. And that's why later on there has to be a divorce, because it was so serious to get engaged that it actually took a judge to get unengaged, not just to get unmarried. And so this is what's going on. When I read this story, I'm really intrigued by a couple of things because I've always read this and saw that, you know, um, the, the angel shows up, Gabriel, and he says, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And the scripture says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said, Don't be afraid. Angels always show up and say, Don't be afraid. When you're at the McDonald's and, and, and somebody says, hey, don't be afraid, ask yourself. Ask them what their name is. I'm just saying. The Scripture says, not Joe Wood, the Bible says, some people have entertained angels unaware. Do angels have wings? Well, of course they do. Why? Because I can't find any place in the Bible that the angels have wings except cherubim. Cherubim have wings. 
But there's never been an account where Michael showed up or where Gabriel showed up and it said his wings were magnificent. You should have seen these things. I mean, he looked like the hot guy from DC Comic. You know? It's like, no. They never said that. So here's Gabriel. He shows up in the presence of Mary and he says, Hail you who are highly favored of the Lord. And, and she's like, Oh, I'm really troubled this greeting. You know what she wasn't troubled at? That it's only taken me 28 years to see? She wasn't troubled that there was an angel standing in front of her. The Bible does not say she was troubled because there was an angel there. It doesn't say that she was watching her favorite episode of Yellowstone or whatever's like the most popular right now, and then all of a sudden there was an angel there, and she freaked out and grabbed a 38. Okay, it doesn't say that. It says, he said, blessed are you. Mary, you're highly favored. And she said, ah, I wonder why he's saying I'm highly favored. Where is this going? You know, it's like when somebody comes up to you and says, oh man, I just love you so much. You're so awesome. Some of you have kids, right? Right? And they come up and they're like, you're my favorite parents. Like you've only got two, so I had a 50-50 chance. You know? Like, you're my favorite parents. Like, what do you want? Isn't that the first thing out of your mouth? What do you want? Or, or what's the other thing? What did you do? What's broke? You know? We have Frank at home. Some of you know Frank. He's not a child. He gets treated like a child, but he's not a child. He's a dog. Frank came the other day, and I heard him slobbering and doing something. And, and, and I said, Frank? And he came, and he looked at me, and his ears were back. And I said, Frank, what did you do? And then he ran for his bed. And then I found the shoe, and now I have to buy another pair of shoes for somebody for Christmas. And it's like, hey, that's the way we are. The angel of the Lord shows up, and he says, hey, Mary, you're highly favored. And she's like, oh, no. It was the greeting. The scripture says so. Don't take my word for it. It was the greeting that troubled her because she didn't know what was going to come after that. Yeah, sure, why did an angel show up? But I'm just telling you, I would have wet myself if the angel showed up. I'm not that strong a person, really. I wouldn't have probably heard the greeting. Now, I don't know that he was glowing. I don't know that that you know, mentality is here. But an angel of the Lord showed up, and Mary was concerned that he said she was highly favored. I like that she knows his name. I love that part. She knows that his name is Gabriel. Gabriel says, hey, let me tell you about your aunt. It's in the sixth month, and by the way, your aunt is, uh, it's assumed that it's an aunt, it's a relative, the word in the Greek means relative, but it, she's you know, old and she's going to have a baby, she's in her sixth month. And so Mary runs out there eventually and she sees her aunt and, and John the Baptist is in her, her, her relative, I gotta, I gotta say relative, she was in her relative and John jumps in you know, Elizabeth's womb and, and you know, then Elizabeth starts affirming what the angel said, Mary, you're highly favored by God and his favor is gonna be on you and this child that's gonna be, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing, it's a miracle for Elizabeth and for Mary and there it is. Who is it that encourages you? Just stop for a second while we're thinking about that. Who is it that encourages you to stay at the promise of God in your life? Who encourages you? Who doesn't say, well, I guess that didn't happen, so whatever, let it go and move on. Who says, no, 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 stay the course. 
If God promised you a miracle, stay the course. That's who you need to stay surrounded with. That's who you need to be encouraged by. And I love this idea that it's not a miracle unless there's no way to explain it. I mean, seriously, Mary's going to be pregnant. She's never slept with a guy, never had sex before in her life. But the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her, and she's going to be pregnant. And then she's going to have to tell people this, or she's just going to have to live under the scrutiny of a community that will say, yeah, they got the cart before the horse, didn't they? Right? That's what, that's what she's up against as far as her life goes. And you think, wow. I love that angel Gabriel says, the Lord is with you. He said that it's a time when the Roman army was marching up and down in the streets. The Lord is with you. He said this at a time when keeping peace meant the Roman army had a bigger sword or a bigger stick than you had. The Roman army was taxing them heavily, abusing their authority. The Romans were making life miserable. And he says, hey, the Lord is with you. It's the same thing that the angel of the Lord said to Gabriel when he was hiding in the wine press trying to thresh out some wheat a couple thousand years earlier. They're being oppressed by the enemy. And he has to hide in a hole in the ground to beat some wheat on the ground to collect the kernels to grind it into wheat for his family. And the Lord shows up and says, Gabriel, you who are highly favored. And he's like, if I'm highly favored, where's the Lord? If I'm highly favored, why am I hiding? It's in Judges chapter 6 if you want to read it. It's an amazing story. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he goes on to say, well, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are his wonders, miracles, that our ancestors always told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us into the hand of the Midianites. Well, Joe, if miracles are real, then where are the miracles? Why can't we see them? And we see this picture of Mary miraculously being chosen for a mission. It would take a miracle, and that would be the overshadowing of God. It's not a pagan God uniting with a human baby like some, some uh, pagan religions will, will say about their religion. But it would start in a miracle, and it would end in a miracle, which would be the resurrection. And there were miracles and evidence all along the way. In the book of Mark, and Mark was there, the scripture says, um, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and told him to stop because he was not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. You know, when I interact with people and they say, well, what kind of church is the vineyard? And I say, well, it's a charismatic church. What do you tell them? It's a mall church. <laughs> it's a crazy church. It's a charismatic church. We believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We do not want to squander, squelch, or inhibit the gifts of the Holy Spirit as they're working in here. We're not here to do it sensationally. We're just here to understand that that's supposed to be naturally, we're supposed to be naturally supernatural. And so we, we look at this and we say, hey, what does that mean? And so often I will hear people say, well, the miracles, the supernatural miracles stopped a long time ago. And, and, and I'll ask them, can you show me where it says that in Scripture? And nobody has yet been able to do that for me. Well, it stopped with the, the apostles because they were the ones doing it. Hold on a second. Let me read that Scripture to you again. In the book of Mark, John 
is talking to Jesus, and he says, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told you, him to stop because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, for anyone, for, excuse me, for no one who does a miracle in my name can the next moment say something bad about me. What that means is there were people out there doing miracles in Jesus' name because Jesus' name was the power. So when people tell you only the disciples were doing um, miracles, take them to this scripture in the book of Mark chapter 4 because that's not what the Bible says. You're talking to somebody that does not know what the Bible says but wants to lecture you on the Bible. And that's why I keep saying the only thing that matters as far as my job, if you want to call it that, my calling is what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? I cannot reinterpret it for you. I can just tell you what it says and what it means for us to follow Jesus and, and the fact that we need to be empowered by God. There is no proof whatsoever that the power of God was removed from this planet. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit came to be with us forever. There is a place where we very casually live our lives with Jesus. You will seek for me and find me, the scripture says, when you seek for me with all of your heart. At what point does that reflect our relationship to God? At what point do we begin to let go of this world and get more immersed in the things of God? Where do we get more hungry for God and less hungry for this world? And it's something that you will wrestle with all of your life. It's something that I will wrestle with all of my life. But we look at this thing and we say, wow, where are the miracles? And so I was, I've been wrestling with that thought for the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> where are the miracles? I've been asking God, where are the miracles? And I've been saying, God, you know, why don't you come sit down in my office right here and tell me what you want to do with the vineyard? And, and I'm burned out from asking that question. I'm not here to tell you I'm burned out and all like that. I'm just telling you, like you, I'm like, then where is God? Why doesn't he come and sit down here? He came and talked to Moses on the mountain. Did he come talk to Moses? Yes, he did. And Moses was a murdering thief, okay? And then he came and he talked to Abraham and said, come and follow me. Abraham was, Abra Abraham was a pagan. It's like, come on. And then Gabriel shows up and talks to Mary. I don't know who Mary was before this, but we know she was 14, 18, somewhere in there, years old. And, you know, we'd all like to believe that she was pristine, didn't have a problem. But some of you have, you know, like teenage daughters, right? And listen, 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 listen. I had teenage daughters. Listen, they're going to have teenage daughters. <laughs> I'm going to be there for them. But it's going to be funny. Mary was a teenage daughter, <laughs> like everybody else's teenage daughter. So she wasn't perfect. She was a human being that needed a Savior as much as she was willing to give birth to a Savior. But anytime I've stopped and looked at miracles and where was God working in the world and things like this, I do believe this. When things are bleak, we are ripe for something miraculous to happen, and I don't think we're bleak. I don't think we're bleak. I've often reminded myself, if you want to see God moving, go to the favelas of South America. If you want to see God moving, go to the clinics in Zimbabwe. If you want to see God moving, go where there are people that if God doesn't move, they're going to die. Go there, because those people need us. 
You know, it's that place where the, the, the prophet prays and he says, Lord, don't give me so much that I forget you, but don't give me so little that I have to steal to feed my family. And we're kind of in that spot where we're kind of satisfied. We like our lives. We've got some money. We've got a house. We've got a job. We're kind of doing the things that we'd like to do. We'd, we'd all like to have a lot more money and go places and see things. And I, I get that part, but let's just be honest. If it came down to it and we stripped down all of our Netflixes and got rid of all of those things and got rid of all our little one-time payments for our YouTube and all that stuff, we would have some money. And we could do some things. I mean, comfortably. Not, not as a church, but as an individual. But when people are bleak, when circumstances are dire, God is usually there. When you're willing to stop and be honest and you're destitute in your soul, God tends to show up. In the book of Psalms, in chapter 34, the scripture says, the, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them, and he delivers them from their troubles. The righteous in this, this passage are in trouble. They're, they're hungry, they're starving. And it's a different level of poor than what you and I recognize in our communities. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. We've got a big heart for people that are struggling with depression and, and, and mental struggles that they have. And we have no rock to throw. It's, it's real. It's right there in the Scripture. People that are crushed in their spirit, that's what that means. They're depressed and they don't understand why and they can't get themselves out of it and pull themselves up by their bootstraps. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them. He protects all his bones and none of them will be broken. So for us to understand that to, to be uh, involved in religion that's pure and faultless is to visit the fatherless and the widows. That's true religion according to James. The desperate, the destitute, the lost, the empty, the angry, the hopeless. God is where these people are. And that's what we saw as people were delivering food last week. That's what we saw. And that's amazing. When I was thinking about miracles, the other thing that I want to share with you is this. A miracle requires faith. That's a belief and knowing. Both of them together. Okay? Hebrews says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. It doesn't require academic knowledge, but it, it needs some of that. It requires a practical knowledge that says, I will do what needs to be done or what it is that the Lord has asked me. Here, this is what Samuel said. Does the Lord desire sacrifice as much as he desires obedience? You can give all the money you want to the church, but at the end of the day, are you doing what God's asking you to do, which puts you in a close personal relationship with God? Because Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. And so as you walk with God, he's inviting you into that close personal relationship. A miracle requires faith, belief, and knowing. Even if it's from the Lord or the people that are lowering you from the roof. That faith is there. And the last thing is that and, and I think this one's important to you and I. A miracle requires availability, and like I said, just, just said, and obedience. Are you available to God? 
Can you stop when you see somebody on the road or are you so busy because you've got to get someplace right now that you've got to take care of this? Somebody shared a story with me this past week that I thought was absolutely great. They were on their way somewhere and this was going on and they had time, but they didn't need to stop. And then the Lord said, no, you need to stop. And then they went back and then they did this and they did that. And it was absolutely just a beautiful story of how God used them to interact. But a miracle requires us to be available to God. It's not about salvation. It's about following Jesus. Christmas, the Christmas miracle is about us being reintroduced to God as people that are going to be saved, but it's about being available to him. Book of Luke, Luke says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, here, here's the question from this passage. When the son of man comes, if Jesus comes today, if the trumpet blows today, Will God find faith? And faith isn't the knowledge. Faith is the action that's coupled with the knowledge. Will he find people doing what he's asking them to do, not what he asked them to do? Think about it this way. Faith equals obedience. Faith equals risk. Faith equals sacrifice. Is he going to find people being obedient? Is he going to find people taking great risks? Is he going to find people sacrificing? Somewhere I still wonder, why don't the miracles happen the way it sounds like they did when Jesus was walking upon the earth and when the disciples were doing it? But there are still miracles happening. I would encourage you just to get out of your comfort zone. I don't know if it's on YouTube or whatever. And I would encourage you to get, get, a, get, get a hold of a copy of a video called The Finger of God. You're probably not going to agree with everything on that video. But I would challenge you to, to watch it and begin to ask yourself, why is God willing to do that there? It's a reference to tracing the finger of God when you can't find God. Why is God doing that there and not in my house? And as often as you're willing to say, well, that's not God, stop for a second. God is too big for me to define. God is too big for me to limit. And I promise you this, we serve a God, and I said this last week and the week before and the week before, right? <laughs> God is a God who gives. For God so loved the world that he that's how he proved it. It was an action. It's not just like he has ooey gooey feelings for you. He loves you so much that he gave his only son. That's the evidence of, of faith and love, the giving part. I believe that God wants to help those people, so I'm going to get them some food because God put them in my presence. I'm not going to go to Joe and tell them they need to go meet this guy. Or if the problem's bigger, come to Joe and we'll all try to meet this guy. But at the end of the day, are we willing to take the risk to be obedient and, and make the sacrifice? And sometimes the sacrifice is financial and you guys are doing a great job with the bed thing. But what about with the out of my comfort zone thing? What about that part? What about when you're at work and somebody says something, you think, oh, I could probably get fired for this. Is that the determining factor whether or not we're obedient to God? I might lose my job because I know Christian people that 
probably going to lose their lives this season because they live in mostly Muslim countries. And I say that politically, not religiously. And we're worried about our job. But if God says pray for them, step up. Embarrass yourself. Let God be God. And for just a second, be a conduit. Let God see that the life that you're living is different than what people saw five years ago that knew you. Let them see that God is doing something in your life. We want a miracle. But are we obedient enough to be the miracle that God wants to do in somebody else's life? To make the sacrifice, time, energy, resources, to be in that place for God. What if we came to God and asked Him, unlike Mary's situation where the angel showed up and said, God's going to use you. What if we showed up to God and said, God, will you use me to bring a miracle to its fruition in somebody else's life? Would you do that, God? Can I be used by you to be somebody else's miracle on my street this season? Because I want to see a miracle and I'm willing to be it. What if we as families took a big risk, acted in big obedience, and made a great sacrifice going into this season and asked and prayed to God to bring a miracle into somebody that we know's life? Can God use you this season? as we ask God for a miracle. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I opened this with saying, ask God for your miracle. I told you to ask him for your answered prayer a month or so ago, and I would encourage you to still do that. But as we go into a season of giving, can you be the miracle in somebody else's life? And can you do it by approaching God and saying, please use me, please use me. Whatever it is you ask, Lord, I don't care. Mary had to give it all up. The dream wedding, the, you know, the esteem of the people in her community, she had to give it all up. She was pregnant. It got pretty obvious. And they weren't, everybody, did you get to go to the wedding? Because I missed the wedding. That guy, the cart before the horse? Yeah, they did, I guess. She says it's God. <laughs> Can you imagine the humiliation of saying, no, 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 it's the Son of God. Nobody's touched me. Wow. Can God use you like that this season? Where you will do whatever he asks, even if it's stupid and doesn't make any sense at all. Because I believe that that's what God's asking of us as we go into 2022. I'm so excited about 2022. And I say that because I've already preached the last message of 2021. I already have. You just weren't there. We videoed it ahead of time. So I had to preach the last sermon of December before I preached the first sermon of December. And I'm excited about if God tarries what he's going to do in 2022. But it starts with, can God use you? Can he use you? Behold you who are highly favored of the Lord. Oh no, what kind of a greeting is this, Lord? What are you asking? Let's pray. Father, who is God in heaven, we come before you. And 
God, I do ask you to do a great miracle. I ask you to do a great miracle in somebody's life. And I'm just asking and praying, not that I get notoriety for it, not that I get my name somewhere, not that I get to brag about it, not that I even get to use it as a sermon illustration, Lord. Just that I get to know that you used me to do something you wanted done, and that was my blessing. But whatever was done, that's going to bless somebody else. So I'm asking God for every one of us in here. I'm asking you to forgive us for our attitudes, forgive us for our sins, forgive us for not stepping out when you call us to, forgive us for shortchanging you, forgive us for not spending time with you, forgive us, God, for sinning against you, forgive us for the sins of omission against you. God, I'm just coming and saying, let your grace reign here. Change us. And light again inside of us this fire that we had. Restore to us, God, the joy and the excitement of our salvation in this Christmas season. And let us see the miracle. Let us see the angel. Let us see the kingdom of heaven breaking through. I ask and speak that on each of these members of this congregation, God. Each of these people in here. Shake us up. Wake us up. And lead us forward. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Listen, if you know what miracle you're supposed to be praying for, we want to pray with you. If you're here and you're saying, no, no, but Pastor Joe, I want a miracle. There's something I'm still crying out for. Listen, let us pray with you. These people are going to be up here. We're going to go into this song. We want to pray into your miracle. We want to pray into your move of God. We want to pray into whatever that is going to be because we want to see God doing something you have to give God testimony for. We want to see the repentance, the forgiveness, and people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But we also want to see God touching your life in, in very practical ways. And we want to be there with you in that and celebrate. So if there is something, anything, a health issue, a financial issue, a job issue, relational, can we pray with you? We just want to see God do something in your life. While we're singing this song, these people want to pray for you.